power to control the processes through which meaning is made, circulated and made sense of matters. Controlling representation matters because it shapes how people understand the world, which affects how they act in the world. Here, it is important for us to examine a particularly influential model of representation within media and cultural studies, Stuart Hall's encoding slash decoding model. Here, Hall breaks down media messages that are both created and understood as a cultural and social process into four categories. The encoding-decoding model was particularly important as part of a turn toward thinking about active audiences, or reception theory, in the 1970s. This turn paid attention to who audiences were as active participants in making sense of and incorporating media representations into their everyday practices and identities. The claim was that media had to be understood as a social process, and that that meant that the meanings of media representations could not be understood by simply analysing the text, that is, what was on the screen or in the image, but had to be understood by going and observing how audiences or receivers of representations made sense of them. Critically important here was the claim that there was no single meaning in a text, but that the same text could have different meanings to different audience members because they used their differing positions in the social and cultural world to make sense of media. Hall's encoding-decoding model was first published in the 1970s. His claim was that while some people have more power to control the resources used to create meanings and the structures and spaces where meanings circulate, no one has complete control over how meanings are encoded and decoded. Powerful groups have the capacity to control media institutions and technologies and the resources to employ and direct professional communicators. That level of control, though, only gets them so far because representations work discursively. Once produced, messages have to be circulated. They become meaningful when they are incorporated into social practices and institutions. But those institutions cannot entirely control social life. The process of representation is contingent on the actors in each moment and their relative power to influence or control others. The moments of encoding and decoding messages are relatively autonomous. In what follows then, I draw heavily on Hall's encoding-decoding essay, which has been widely republished and is freely available on the web. A television program is produced within institutional structures, technical infrastructure, and the production capacities of a television network. The way television producers encode messages is shaped by the way they anticipate others will decode them. No professional communicator wants to be misunderstood by their audience, and most communicators need to pay attention to the power relationships within which they work. For a professional communicator working on a television news program, for instance, they most likely anticipate how their messages will be perceived by political and corporate elites on the one hand and by their audience on the other. Their messages are discursively shaped by their sense of how it fits within a broader cultural hegemony that reflects both the interests of political elites and the desires of the audience. Think of it this way. If a television news program continually produces stories that are not understood, are boring or are deeply offensive to the audience, they will stop watching. Professionals pay careful attention to wider cultural discourses and power structures. 
the interests of political elites, corporate sponsors and advertisers, and audience feedback through ratings and market research. The producer then isn't an autonomous creator of meanings, but rather is working on one part in an ongoing process of representation. We do this on a micro level, in our everyday interactions. The way that you talk to your parents is different to how you talk to your friends. That's because you encode your speech differently, depending on your judgments about how receptive your audience will be to particular meanings. The power of professional communicators is limited by all the other actors in the process of communication. We might argue, though, that they are working at a particularly influential interval. The messages they encode can be distributed to a mass audience. Individuals in that audience can decode the messages however they like, but they are probably unlikely to be able to encode and distribute their own messages in return. Even though our media system is, has become increasingly interactive and participatory, this remains a crucial distinction. Once a message is encoded and distributed, though, it can only have an effect, influence, entertain, instruct or persuade once it is decoded. The meaning structure used to encode a message may not necessarily be the same as the meaning structures within which the message is decoded. Even though professional communicators might set the agenda and frame messages, they can't ever guarantee what their readers and audiences will do with those messages. The process of representation is always open-ended to some degree. We must then always pay attention to what audiences do with representations, in addition to examining the messages themselves. When the audience sits at home watching television, they are an important actor in the circulation of meaning. They decode the representations and make them meaningful within their own lives. Sometimes they do this by decoding it messages in ways that work against or were not anticipated by the encoders. The encoding-decoding model gives us a variety of positions from which we can understand the exercise of power in the process of representation. Human communication is characterised by struggles over power and meaning. Hall suggests three possible positions within which messages might be decoded, dominant, negotiated, and oppositional. When a message is decoded as the encoder intended, the process of representation operates within a dominant hegemonic code. The social exchange constructed here is one of consent or agreement between encoder and decoder. The message attempts to be hegemonic in the sense that it claims its own truth and legitimacy. It achieves this hegemony when the decoder consents to that claim, when they agree with the message. The work of professional communicators is to encode messages in such a way that their claims are legitimised by others. A negotiated process of representation takes place when the decoder understands quite well the claim to truth or legitimacy the encoder is making but they resist consenting to the claim. The decoder acknowledges the legitimacy and power of the message, but at the same time, they mark out their own position, adapting the message to their own local conditions and social relations. The capacity of the decoder to negotiate depends to some degree on their relative autonomy, power and cultural and economic resources. Negotiated processes of representation demonstrate the messy and contingent nature of power, the decoder simultaneously acknowledges the existence of the power and legitimate dominant code 
At the same time, they resist it with whatever local resources they have available. Much communication and the ongoing work of hegemony and representation is about these everyday negotiations. An oppositional exchange takes place when a decoder understands perfectly well the encoded message, but rejects it entirely. Oppositional decoding threatens to disrupt power relations. If a large group of people refuse to decode the intended message of the encoder, and that oppositional decoding is backed up by other economic, social and cultural resources, it may be the sign of a hegemony breaking apart or losing its legitimacy. Hall's model is useful for thinking about how, in a society, at any given time, there is a complex process of meaning-making and representation taking place. The process of encoding and decoding gives us a useful rubric for mapping out a variety of positions from which individuals and groups might have the capacity to encode, circulate, decode, and recirculate messages. Encoders with power are likely to have access to the means of communication from which they can create and distribute messages. Their messages are likely to be decoded as intended and consented to by those aligned to the ruling hegemony. They might also find other groups undertaking a negotiated decoding of the message at local levels. This process of negotiation is part of managing hegemony, but doesn't fundamentally disrupt it. These other groups might not be happy with the meetings, but they understand that in practice they need to consent to them. In addition to encoders with power are encoders seeking to build power. These individuals and groups are also largely operate within the ruling or dominant hegemony. But they seek to negotiate a different position within that structure to acquire more economic and cultural power. They are often perceived within the process of representation as an acceptable part of the debate. For instance, in the United States, a democratic president might find conservative media disagreeing with much of what he or she has to say. But ultimately, not disputing their shared liberal democratic capitalist hegemony. What is taking place here is a continuing negotiation within a hegemonic structure the various encoders and decoders largely agree upon. This process of encoders and decoders either aligned to the ruling hegemony, involved in a process of active negotiation within it, or ambivalent about it, characterises much of the representation process that most of us are familiar with on a day-to-day basis. For those of us who live in the United States, United Kingdom, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand and Western Europe, the media, cultural and political process we are embedded within is a liberalised order where the fundamental power relationships are not in dispute. But within those frameworks, groups are negotiating and jostling for resources. Distinct from dominant and negotiated processes of representation are those societies characterised by encoders or decoders opposed to the ruling hegemony. Any society at any given time will have individuals and groups fundamentally opposed to the ruling hegemony. For the process of representation, though, This opposition is only of consequence if those groups are able to gain access to the means of communication through which to create and distribute messages and if there are corresponding groups who will decode their messages as intended, that is, if they have the capacity to create, circulate and have their messages made meaningful by others.